It is uh, time for our Monday's Experts uh, on, of course, this Monday, and really looking forward to our guest today. She took out her training licence in her own right at the start of this season, and what a whirlwind it's been. Of course, we saw her over the Brisbane Winter Carnival with an extraordinary animal called Zaki, and no doubt it's going to be a big spring ahead for Annabelle Neesham and her team at Annabelle Neesham Racing. But I'm very keen to hear the story behind Annabelle and who exactly is this name we always see in the form guide. She joins me now on the phone. Good morning, Annabelle. Morning, Dave. How are you? Very good. Thanks for coming on. Usually we have you on talking about the horses and whether we should be having an investment on them, but today we're going to be chatting about you, the individual. Are you nervous at all? Um, I'd, I'd forgotten, actually, so I haven't had time to be nervous. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, not, not massively keen talking about myself, but um, I was a bit distracted by England losing the footy this morning, so I, I've been having my head hanging low. All the staff have been taking the mickey out of me, so I um, haven't had too much time to, to worry about it. I wasn't going to bring up the football, but you've, you've gone there anyway. But that's all right. It's definitely not coming home. But anyway, uh, we, we move on. But I think it's important that we, we find out a little bit more about the person behind the name because it's a name I think we're going to be seeing in Australian racing and for world racing, that fact, for many moons to come. Where did you grow up? Well, obviously, England's a big big uh, a big tick of where you grew up. But where what part of England did you grow up in? Yeah, so I grew up in a little village called Croton, which is sort of about an hour and a bit north of London, um, about half an hour north of Oxford. Um, so, yeah, I've lived there. Well, I lived there my whole life. I spent a bit of time living in London, but my family is still where we grew up. And, um, yeah, I suppose in terms of other countries, this is this is the only other place I've lived. Your family, um, is, is, there, is there racing in the blood? Not, oh, not really. My granny, so my father's mother, she was quite into the point-to-point racing. She used to race ride. Um, back in the day when it, it was literally from point to point. Um, so I think it was church steeple to church steeple back in the day, and they had three-mile races across whatever was in front of you. Um, so probably does stem back to her. Um, both my parents were a little bit horsey growing up, and um, but when I was born, they didn't have any, and I think it was about my eighth birthday, they caved in and, and got me a pony. What was it about the horse? So obviously you'd been harping onto them saying, I'd like a pony, I'd like a pony. What was it about the pony that you liked, or the horse? I've, I've absolutely no idea, to be honest. Um, I uh, used to always get up pretty early in the mornings um, before school, so um, I think it was, I, I was never really a, a kid that enjoyed being inside and, and was always looking things to do outside, and a couple of my friends at school had ponies, um, so I'd probably... Um, got bit the bug from their ponies and then um yeah it all sort of spiraled from there i know my father said when he got me that first pony it was it was actually not a very nice pony it used to buck me off all the time i think they were hoping to put me off because they knew it was a reasonably expensive hobby for your children to be doing but um yeah just sort of continued on and then i, I you know the par- my parents said you've got to make it yourself self-sufficient once i got to about 16 so i started buying and selling horses and, and did quite a lot of eventing and um, show jumping and things, and it, it wasn't really till till I got to university um, that I got into the, into the racing. So, um, you know, I've been horsey for a long, long time, but but actually only in the racing game for probably ten, eleven years. That's extraordinary. So you you obviously um, had a passion for the the animal because you got into it and you were you were drawn to the horse. But then to sort of you know take it to that next level, you were what buying and buying and trading ponies. 
Yeah, I used to go across to Ireland um, and go to the Connemara sales at Clifton, which are on the west coast of Ireland. And um, you could pick up ponies for about 500 euros. Um, so I used to buy a few of those and, and bring them over and try and produce them and get a few results with them and then and then flip them. Um, how, old were you when, how, how old were you when you were doing this, Annabelle? Oh, about 16. Um, and and your, your parents at the time, were they sort of, you know, going along on the, the ride with you? Uh, sort of, until mum went down the back paddock and said there were four more horses than she thought there were. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the numbers got a bit out of control. But, they, they um, you know, as long as I was um, funding it myself, they didn't seem to mind. But it started getting a little bit tricky. Um, I was doing it for quite a while, you know, my school holidays. But you'd obviously have to get them sold before I went back to school. Um, and then, you know, once I actually got a job in my gap year, um, trying to juggle doing that and working a job became a little bit tricky, but um, yeah, it was always amazing what what you could fit into the day. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So you've always sort of had that business brain attached to obviously a passion which is deep inside you of the horse. Yeah, I think so. And I, I've always just enjoyed producing horses. I used to love getting those young horses, but you know sometimes they weren't broken in, and and you'd you know you'd have them right from the start, and then you know I enjoyed following them once we sold them on. Um, you know, they, were, they tended to be sort of 14 two ponies. Um, so you'd sell them on to, to teenagers and see how, you know, get enjoyment about about how they went. I think one of the ponies I sold ended up at the Europeans. So I got a big thrill out of that. Um, but yeah, it was mainly to fund. I had a good event horse um, that I got to, uh, not the top level, but we got reasonably high up. And, and um, you know, doing all of this really is what funded it. What about uh, when you went to university? What uh, what were you doing at uni, and when was it that the thoroughbred game came along? <laughs> yeah, I studied um, real estate um, property development um, at Reading University, and um, actually, it must there must be some connection with racing with that course because three of us are, are now horse trainers, myself, um, and then two trainers, Tom Ward and, and James Ferguson, who are in, in England. Um, they're both training over there, so. Um, it's a bit of a small world, but it was probably actually yeah. Tom Ward that got me hooked on the flat racing because it was mainly the jumps racing that I used to follow. Um, but, you know, he was the one that, that got me hooked. He actually, he was John O'Shea's assistant out here while John was at Godolphin's and, and Tom was the one that um, suggested that I came out and worked for Gay Waterhouse. So um, it probably, yeah, it probably started really in my holidays at uni going off to do various different jobs. Um, and initially in the bloodstock side of things, because, I got put off. A lot of people said it's, you know, it's incredibly tough unless you're, you know, brought up and, and in ra- in a racing family, it's pretty hard to to get into training there, um, which you know is, is it probably is harder there, um, and it's probably harder being a, a female as well. I, I would suspect over there, I think it, it's a lot more opportunity for people here. So um, I went down the bloodstock route instead, but I was still was riding out. Um, I was riding out point-to-pointers and what have you in between time, and, and I just missed that thrill of um, having adrenaline. So um, once I'd given up the eventing and was just doing the bloodstock, it just didn't it didn't um, give me enough adrenaline to get up every day as, as excited as I probably am now. Do you have any brothers and sisters? I've got two brothers. Um, older, my older brother's a lawyer. Um, he lives in London, and my younger brother, um, he's a football and rugby agent, so... But then they're, they're not horsey at all. But uh, no. young brother follows the racing a bit. So, so we got the 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 lawyer, the the sports agent, um, 
the daughter doing uh, property development at university, that conversation with the parents to say, right, I'm going to work for Gay Waterhouse, bye-bye, was that a shock for them? Oh, I think they were probably happy to get rid of me for <laughs> what they thought was a year. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't think... I think if they'd, they'd known I was... So I was heading over there and staying over there. They might not have been as keen. Um, I certainly thought I'd be coming back. But, um, so yeah, I mean, they, they were, they've always been incredibly supportive with all of, all of their children. You know, my brothers as well. They're, they're very supportive of, of whatever we want to do and whatever makes us happy. And, and, um, yeah, I couldn't really have asked for a better upbringing from that point of view. But, um, yeah, obviously it's a bit tricky now. I haven't seen them for over two years and I, I don't know when I will. Um, mm. So, yeah, a lot of FaceTiming goes on. <laughs> Usually every Sunday yeah. I try and talk to them. Okay, so the the journey out here to, to gays was, in, in your mind, was it just a year or was it, uh, did you think, okay, if this, this, this could be longer or was it just merely just a, an opportunity to experience the other side of the world, obviously, you know, earn a quid, do something you're passionate about and then obviously we go back to London and um, we do the property development or we do the racing. Was that how it was in your mind? Well, the, originally the property side of it was because um, I knew it wasn't going to be good enough. This was I hadn't really found the racing at that at that point, um, and I knew I wasn't going to be good enough at the eventing to, to make a living off it. Um, so I just thought, well, what can I do that's going to earn me money that I can do horses for fun? And, and I thought, well, property developer sounds about right. So that's how that came about. But once I knew it was the racing, um, yeah, I think... You know, I actually applied for a couple of assistant trainer jobs back home and, and didn't get any traction. Um, so that was when Tom Ward had suggested coming out here and getting experience here for a year. And then I thought I might go to America. And then I thought, you know, maybe I'll land myself a good assistant job back home after that. But um, I never got to that stage. What was it like when you first arrived at uh, Gay Waterhouses here in Sydney? <laughs> it was good. Um, I mean, I had a great experience there. Um you know, she's got a big team. It's fast-paced. You know, you start at the crack of dawn. I think my alarm used to go off at 2 o'clock. And I actually think when I worked for her in Melbourne for the carnival, I'm pretty sure from memory my alarm went off at quarter to 2 every morning because we had to get them on the walker, horse walker, before um, the next-door stable did. So I think we started at half 2 from memory. Um, so it was it was bloody hard work, but it was a good learning curve. Um you know, she's such a brilliant trainer and Adrian Bott came on the licence while I was there as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was great. And, uh, you know, a lot of internationals seem to start off their career out yeah. here in that stable. Then you find yourself, obviously, working for the Ma Eustace team and you had a wonderful association with them and obviously uh, good friends with David Eustace, uh, etc. Tell me about the moment, though, that you decided, right, I can do this on my own. Um. Yeah, probably it was, I suppose, this time-ish last year. Um, I just thought, you know, there was some boxes coming available. Um, it was something I always, you know, I say I always want, you know, at some stage, since I've been here, I, I decided I wanted to train here. Um, and it's never e it's never an easy time to break away from a job like that. Um, you know, we'd had a great year. I think we had five in the gold slipper. Um, we'd won the Sydney Cup. He'd had a brilliant year, um, and you know it's such a great team. But I think at some stage you just got to bite the bullet and and go for it. And um, it's incredibly hard to get boxes in Sydney. So when those 
came up. Um, I thought it was a good opportunity. Um, obviously, it's always a little bit apprehensive, um, you know, particularly during COVID time. But yeah, I think looking back, it probably was the right time to do it. Mm. Was it? Uh, that must have been a tough conversation to have with David and, of course, Kieran. Yeah, it was. Um, it wasn't one of the easiest conversations I've had, but um, you know, I think Kieran knew that eventually it'd be what I want to do. I'd had had five years with him and good grounding, and and been based in both states. So, um, you know, he was very understanding of it and, and supportive. Um, once I'd made up my mind, we had a fair few discussions, and I, you know, I just discussed it with him as well and, and talked talked him through it. So, um, you know, he was he was quite useful in that situation and he said, you know, you, you go with my blessing. And um, again, it wasn't a great time because it was during COVID. So I stayed for for a couple of months um, while we, while we found someone else and, you know, he's done extremely well to find Jack Bruce. He's doing a great job. With the support of ownership, that's, I mean, the, you look at all big stables and uh, yours as well and truly on the way, but you really need those owners to, to back you and, You've had a number that have backed you even in this early period of your career. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. Um, and, you know, I've started off with well-bred horses, which helps um, significantly. So um, you've got to keep the results up for those those big guys to keep supporting you. But, yeah, I've been overwhelmed with their support. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the big studs have given me a go with a horse um, or two. And obviously, Acris has been great. Um, Kiora. Um, we've had a couple of Coolmore as well, so it's good. And I, and I think when you know when you get results for those guys, you hope that other people notice and, and support you. So, you know, looking into next year, we seem to have a, a good range of clients. And um, you know, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. I think it's good to have a, a nice spread of, of you know owner breeders, um, of syndicates and syndicators, and, and it looks like we've we've got that nice spread. When you were originally going to, you know, your various owners and, and trying to, to, to drum up support, were you sort of, you know, were you, were you anxious because of the time it was? I mean, thinking back to COVID, I mean, there was a number, you know, there's a bit of uncertainty about our game at that initial starting period. Yeah, a, a little bit, I suppose. Um, but, I, you know, I was prepared to start small. I think you have to be. So, you know, we started off with, I think, 10, 10 horses, I think it was at the start, and and it, it grew fairly quickly from that. We were lucky we, you know, the first three runners were winners um, and that helped build a bit of traction. Um, but we've been fairly bold at the sales. You know, I've put my neck on the line and, and bought quite a lot of yearlings. Um, uh, you know, you've got to put your hand in your pocket and, and hope that you get them sold before the auction house come knocking on the door asking for the money. So um, I've been fairly bold. Um, lucky, you know, we've still got a little bit to sell, but you know that's a great way of getting new clients in um, into the stable, and I probably learnt that off Kieran. You know he was he was always bold at the sales, and um, I did all the sales with him, so I learnt that off him. You know if you want to grow, you've you've got to put your neck on the line a bit and go out and buy some of those horses yourself. And you know if you support those studs, they they often support you back. So it works a little bit both ways, but you have to take there's an element of risk there that I think you've got to take if you want to grow. You, uh, a young a young person in the in the game, you're going to be here for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I speak of racing in general, wherever that may be across the world. What are your dreams and aspirations? Oh, look, I'd love to be a, a regular in the you know in the top ten in the Premiership. Um, uh, at this stage, I, I don't 
ever want to be massive because I quite like being hands-on. Um, but look, if I could end up being a regular, you know, in the top sort of five or ten in the Premiership, that'd be great. And I'd really like to concentrate on quality rather than quantity. Um, you know, I've had a taste of it now with Mwanga and Zaki. I'm just fortunate to to have had those horses so early on. And, um, you know, they're, they're the days, you, all the long slogs are, are worth it for um, those big group one days. So, look, obviously, as with, I think, probably all trainers, you know, Melbourne Cups, Golden Slippers, Cox Plates, they're all, they're all the dream. Um, and it's an ever-revolving door. What are you concerned about um, for racing in the future? I mean, as someone that wants to be in the sport, this is your business, your passion. Um, are you concerned about uh, you know the, the next generation coming through? Are we not getting enough young people engaged with our game? Yeah, I think it is a little bit of a concern. Um, particularly, I've noticed it without the internationals coming in. Obviously, with the time we're in at the moment, I've noticed there's a real dip in staff um, and perhaps staff quality. Um, you know, I think we're really missing those European track work riders, etc. And um, but there are some great courses like Lindy Morris is doing a phenomenal job um, of of getting those young people in the game. But I think people like her need more support and more finances, um, and you know they really need for racing to get behind behind her. Um, and and there should be more and more programs like that. I think to encourage people because. You know, well, back home we've got the the um, British Racing School, which is, um, you know, filters a lot of good staff into the industry and educates a lot of good staff. And um, I think we need to get a slightly more centralised um, version in Australia. What uh, if if we were to go back in time, or even not back in time, if we were to 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 discuss with an Annabelle Nation that wasn't involved with racing, what would you be doing? Um. Oh, I would have liked to have been a tennis player, winning Wimbledon. At winning Wimbledon. <laughs> but it, that would have been nice. I used to love what, playing tennis. Sadly, another sport that I wasn't good enough to do full-time. So sport was obviously big in the family. You were, always, were you always out and about doing something? Yeah, sport was massive. My school were really sporty. and Yeah, every minute of the day, was whether it was if it wasn't riding, it was some other sport. It was hockey, tennis, netball, athletics. Um, yeah, we were, we were pretty... Um, sports mad family and if you weren't if you weren't playing it you were watching it so um, yeah, I don't get a whole lot of time now I, I haven't actually watched much I felt like a bit of a cheat watching the football this morning because I haven't really watched many of the lead up games for the final but yeah anything anything sport um, related I, I really enjoy and your love of the horse I mean the the Mongol derby just tell our listeners about this I've spoken to this before in, in, in another interview we've done but for this particular segment, I mean, this was, uh, what, what, an 1,000-kilometre endurance race on horseback? Yeah, 1,000 kilometres um, through Mongolia, um, riding riding ponies, uh, Mongol ponies. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a race. It's sort of an experience and a race. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was great. I did it with Adrian Corboy, who's a, who's a horsebreaker down in Melbourne. He's a brilliant brilliant horseman um and yeah it was, it was a lot of fun it was hard work yeah so for our for our uh, audience what does that involve so obviously we, we know you're going from you know point a to point b across mongolia but when you say it's a race i mean are you going flat stick are you you obviously are you just non-stop do you get to stop and have a breather how does it how does it work well you're going flat out at, at stages if you're not in control which which would happen relatively frequently 
Um, yeah. But it, it's along the old Genghis Khan postal route, um, and you, you end up riding. Uh, well, you get to every you get to a station every forty kilometres, um, which is a nomadic nomadic herders um, place, um, and their ponies they're rounded up and they're tied up onto a rope, and they've all got numbers sprayed on them, and you you pick your number and they saddle it up for you with your your gear bag, um, which is five. You've got five kilos to carry for the for the whole race, um, and away you go. You follow your GPS, and um, I think you start riding at six o'clock in the morning from memory, and, and stop at eight o'clock at night. Um, and they, you know, they're, they're monitoring that. And each station you get to, when you hand your horse back to get your next horse, it's got to pass a, a vet check. So its heart rate's got to be below a certain amount, which is is basically just stop people um, going flat out on their horse for, for 40Ks. So um, as you can imagine, that sort of distance, you've got to pace them, um, particularly when you know they're going to have their heart rate tested at the end of it. Um, so it's, it's a combination of skills, I suppose. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm lucky I did it with Adrian Corboy, who was such a good horseman. Um, but yeah, it's probably the toughest thing is the terrain. It's, it's pretty rugged terrain. There's no fence lines or anything, but... Um, you're up and down hills constantly and, and various different weather um, on semi, semi-feral semi horses. Um, so probably part of the art of it was, was picking a horse that was relatively sane. That's that's just extraordinary. Just just thinking about that and that process, that mental uh, strength you have to put yourself through. Yeah, um, I think anyone that's sort of competitive um, would enjoy it. Um, I've had a few people ring and Ask whether they, whether they would advise doing it, whether I would advise doing it, and you know, I always say to people if they're sort of semi-tough and and um, enjoy a challenge, then um, it's, it's definitely a great thing to do. And you meet people from all over the world. There's 40 contestants from um, you know many different countries, so um, it was good to meet different people, and um, yeah, it was obviously a, a good cultural experience as well. What about uh, Zaki? Okay, you received this horse. Um, how did you receive him in, in in terms of you know get him into the stable? So um, we bought him. Uh, contacted Stuart Bowman, who's a, a bloodstock agent um, over in the UK, and had some friends who were keen to buy something with me or buy half of something with me. So um, Stuart found found this horse, and they took half, and I sold the other half to to um, some existing and new clients. Um, and yeah, he came over. I think he arrived here in December, and um, you know, but the the rest so far is, is history, and hopefully, there's more to add to it. And what about him as a horse? Uh, when he arrived, when he was doing work at home, I mean, did you know you you had a, a Lamborghini, or was he just sort of like every other horse in the stable? Well, not like every other horse, but every other you know good quality horse you've got. Did you think, oh, we'll have some fun here and we'll win a few races, or has he completely surprised you? Oh well, he when he first came, he was he'd come from a from an English winter, so he was pretty he was pretty hairy. He looked a bit out of whack compared to the Australian horses that had their nice gleaming summer coats. Um, but you could tell underneath that all that he was he was a nice horse and he was galloping well. Um, we galloped him at Canterbury a couple of times before he trialed, and then I remember I said to Jason Collett, trialed him, and I said just ride him wherever he's comfortable. We'll sort of find out where he's at. And, um, he won the trial, I think, pretty convincingly. I certainly trialed very well, and 
improved again into his next trial and I didn't think he was that forward um, and that's always a good sign when they're more forward than, than what you think he barely had a blow um, and then the work he did the Tuesday before the Doncaster was exceptional and I started wondering if we should be going to the all age instead instead um, but yeah he, he'd already, he's always shown that that little bit of X factor mm. the ride you're going to go on now uh, do you have to pinch yourself um, yeah, I mean, I, I realised how incredibly lucky I am. Not often a plan works out like that. I actually, one of the owners in him um, bought up the, the email I'd sent. I was trying to obviously sell some shares in him and, and my pitch to them was, you know, if all the timing is right, then he could be a horse for the Doncaster, but it might come a bit soon and I think the Doombin Cup will be his race. Um, and it's not, it's not often those sort of things work out. Um, He's taken us on a on a great journey so far. I think he's he's won about one and a half million since he's been here, um, and you know to have the favourite for the Cox Plate, albeit in the early market, um, is you know exciting and it's a real privilege to to have a horse like him. So it'd just be our job to try and get him back in the same shape, if not better, which is what it'll need to be to win a Cox Plate. And before I sort of wrap it all up, does it does it? I mean, you sound so humble there with what you say but does it all sit well with you I mean are you you don't come across as someone that likes to be you know front and centre of the radar which obviously is what Zaki is now and does that you know is that going to be hard for you to to manage to navigate through over the spring because he is going to attract a lot of exposure and a lot of attention to you and it's probably unwanted stress you don't really need yeah um, and interestingly you know when he when he won the Doombin Cup and, and when Mwanga won the Rose of Guineas, you know, the two group ones we've won and they were both quite short price favourites. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. The nerves were awful. I remember thinking just before the race, why am I doing this? This is so unenjoyable. Um, and it, that initial feeling when they cross the line is, is relief more than anything. But um, I'm sure that, it, you know, as time goes on, hopefully I'll be in situations like that more and more often than I'm sure you get it used to them a little bit but um, I think that fe- that feeling of pressure and nerves I think it's because you want to do well you want to do well for not only your team but your your clients and yourself as well so I, I don't think that feeling will ever go away and it's, it's probably um, it's probably good pressure but I, I think it's important to remember it's not the be all and end all at the end of the day it's a horse race and anything can happen so um, sometimes I have to remind myself of that because I can, I can be quite hard on myself. Um, but uh, put it this way, I'd rather I'd rather be going into the spring with that pressure than than, than not having it because at least it means we've got a, a nice horse on our hands. I think that's a wonderful way to end our chat, Annabelle. Uh, it's been an extraordinary season to watch you it all unfold. You've always been great to come on Sky Sports Radio. It's been great to come on then, and it's nice to just know a little bit more about the name we see in the form guide. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Dave.